Sunday, May the 21st. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay. We are coming into land with this series, Walking with God. It's not that we're going to stop walking with God after next Sunday, but we will end it as a kind of theme when we hit Pentecost. And I've got something uh, that I feel God's really speaking to me about for after Pentecost. If I told you, I'd have to shoot you for your own sakes. I'm going to keep it a secret for now, uh, but look out for all that's uh, coming. I'm pretty pumped uh, about it. Ephesians chapter 3, have it open in front of you. That would be really good. And it would also be quite good if you had something you could, you could write on, like your notes on your phone. I don't mean write, type on, record something on. Um, because as we go through this morning, there'll be seven questions, and I'd urge you to get hold of those seven questions. I'd urge you to write down your initial thoughts and reactions about those seven questions, and I'd encourage you to take those seven questions away and to think about them. And if you want a rhythm for that, you could think about one question every day, and that would be a whole week. See what I did there? And then we'll be back next Sunday. Paul's under house arrest, Ephesians chapter 3. And he physically is quite constrained. What makes these verses remarkable, in my humble opinion, is that in the moments when Paul feels physically constrained, when the possibilities appear limited, he writes to the churches about the limitless possibilities of God. Isn't that an interesting perspective? When our physical possibilities appear limited, he says, I'm not going to listen to what my circumstances are saying. I'm going to step back in. I'm going to look to the God who is full of limitless possibilities. Now, for some of us, that's the only thing you need to hear this morning. Because you feel right now that you're in a prison of some kind and you cannot see the possibilities. And all you need today is to be reminded that God is full of limitless possibilities. You can get out and go home if you like. That's it. Done. That's it. But for some of you, some of you, that's it this morning. That, that's what you need to hear. And whatever your circumstances are screaming at you, your circumstances are never, ever, ever the end of the story. Do I get an amen for that at least? To walk with God well then, we need to begin to uh, understand the limitless possibilities. And what Paul does when he writes to the Ephesians, he summarizes what it's like to walk well with God in these uh, verses. And to understand these verses in their wider context is to be reminded that the way we live, the way we live is in partnership with God. So we've talked a lot, haven't we, about the way this um, series got set up way back in Genesis when God comes walking. He, he comes walking in the cool of the day. That God's heart, God's desire is to is to walk with us, not ahead of us or behind us, but for us to be in in, in partnership. And those partnership 
Words are all in vogue at the moment. We talk about, don't we, with the community hub, co-creation. We're not going to do something for people. We're going to do something with people. Co-creation, co-production, co-location, all of that kind of stuff is actually just the way God designed us to be. And it's not just that we're in partnership with God, but it's that we're in a surrendered partnership with God. We walk with him. We partner with him, but in the end, we surrender it all to him. And so you don't need reminding of this, I'm sure. Um, that as we look at the beginnings of the scripture, we see God's heart and design for us. There's that we're invited into relationship. That's the first thing, isn't it, about Genesis 1 and 2. We're invited into relationship, covenantal relationship. And then, out of that relationship, being made as men and women in God's image, we are invited to take on kingdom responsibility. Go into the world, be fruitful, subdue it, i.e. make sense of it, order it, help it to flourish, encourage it in partnership with God, and see all that God will do. That's Genesis chapter 1. It was all about uh, relationship. Genesis chapter 2, all about responsibility. And there you have it. God's blueprint for us. And look at this verse. I love this verse that's tucked away in Genesis chapter 2. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stones are also found there. In other words, in that place where God invites us into relationship and he sends us out to take responsibility, he says to you and me, you've got everything you need. Everything. It's already there. In the garden was everything we needed to flourish. So some of us spend our time sometimes looking for what we think we need to flourish. We've already got it. And the reason we can't find it when we're looking for it is it's under our nose. Have you ever looked for something everywhere except under your nose? Who's looked for their sunglasses that are already on their head? It's not under your nose, but above your nose. So it's, it's easy to go looking for something that we already have. And what, what, what the, the writer in Genesis is saying, we already have everything we need for this life of partnership that God's inviting us into. And, and notice, go from the beginning of the Bible to, to the very end. We start in a what? We start in a garden. And where do we end? In a city with many gardens. That's the journey of the scriptures. God invites us into a garden. He says we have everything that we need to flourish. And then we go on a journey with him. We walk with him in this surrendered partnership. And we end up in a city with many gardens. That's grace, isn't it? Given in chapter 3, we screwed the whole thing up. Genesis chapter 3, that is. That's God's grace. And that's the posture, the invitation that we always need to frame when we think about what it means to walk well with God. He's given us, he's invited us into relationship. He asked us to take responsibility and he's given us everything we need for flourishing. And what starts as a garden is going to end with a great city. It's all grace. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. A bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So much more than we ever lost. God gives us immeasurably more. Which is the title, if you like, of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 to the end. So what's the posture to live 
our design as surrendered co-creators, as partnership with God. Firstly, it's all his, Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's all God's. And this is where the surrender bit comes in. Because sometimes we think that we bring something to the partnership. Sometimes we think there's something in us that God must be chuffed to have on his side. Sometimes we think God must be thrilled that we made it into church. Sometimes we think God must be thrilled that we prayed for a few mornings in a row or whatever it is. And we can, we can lose sight We can lose sight that God is the one, back to the garden and the golden stuff, God is the one that gives us everything that we need. We bring nothing ultimately to this partnership, which was so important when God made the covenant with Abraham. And you know all about that in Genesis chapter 17, when God makes a covenant deal. It was like a business partnership, but it was so much, covenants in those days were so much richer and deeper than a business partnership. It was like a life partnership. Everything you've got is now mine. Everything you've got is now mine that way. And you both bring things to the partnership, recognizing that together you make up something bigger than the individual parts. Which is why when God makes a covenant with Abraham, it's really weird And we don't recognize how weird it is because we're not into Middle Eastern covenants. But when God makes a covenant with Abraham, and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17, Abraham brings nothing to the covenant. God provides every single thing that they will need. That's it, isn't it? When Jesus died on the cross, of which that covenant is a prefigure, God brings every single thing we need to the covenant to the partnership. And that's the posture that helps us live well. For as long as I think I'm bringing something, I've missed it. Because for as long as I've got something in my hand, going to God, look what I've got, look how useful this will be to you. For as long as I'm holding on to it, my hands are no longer open to receive what he has to bring. And to discover the joy of walking with God, we have to face something that at first glance, will really hack us off. The truth will set us free, but it will make us mad before it does it. And the truth that needs to make us, or is hard to swallow, that can make us mad, that we want to avoid, is this. I am not enough. It goes against everything you'll read in all the self-help magazines in W.H. Smith. Until we understand that we're not enough, will never take ownership of what God gives us. I'm not enough. Which is a huge relief, actually. Because if I think I'm enough, then I've got to work at it and strive at it, and I've got to be better and stronger and oh, all that stuff. I've got to try and impress you if I think I'm enough. And I'm done with that. I'm not enough. But Jesus in me, is enough. You don't look very sure about that. Jesus, in you, you're not enough. And that feels exposing and awkward and uncomfortable because we want to be in control and we want to be strong and we want to do it ourselves and we want to make things happen. 
You're not enough. You can't do it. But with Jesus, you are enough. It's all his. Whatever I hold on to, my gifts, my ambitions, my hopes, my pains, my future, my family, all of it's God's. And to partner with him is to go, I know I'm not enough. I surrender it all to you. And note, note that it's the Father. Can you remember when we began this series, the way that we say yes to the invitation that God gives us to walk with him, the way that we say yes to the invitation into the Trinity. Remember all that stuff about being invited into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Anyone remember that? Just say yes, even if you don't. It'll cheer me up. Yes, you remember that. You don't. You don't. It's bad to lie in church, people. You need to tell the truth. If you don't remember, at least just be honest about it. I've got no idea what you're talking about. That invitation, Jesus says, the Father is in me. May you also be in us. We are invited into the relationship that's at the heart of the universe, the relationship that has always existed and makes everything happen. And the way we say yes to that invitation is to call God Father. It's to call God Father. And so here we get this invitation afresh to step into this relationship, to step into this partnership, to be in that co-created, surrendered space by calling God Father. Not our boss or our resource manager or our bank manager or our financial advisor or our resource controller. We're invited to call him Father, Dad. What does surrender look like to you or for you? That's the first question. You might choose to write it down. You might pretend to write it down to encourage me. (laughs) It's working, Henry. (laughs) Second posture we need. Second posture we need. If we're to really walk well with God, if we're going to take this partnership seriously, if we're going to be part of the flourishing that God wants to bring, is we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that uh, next week as we wrap this whole thing up. So just a very simple question. Are you being filled daily with the Holy Spirit? Question number two. And um, it's easy not to be, isn't it? Is that just me? It's easy not to be, isn't it? And and you see why it's easy not to be? It's easy not to be because it takes a bit of effort and a bit of time, but it's also easy not to be because I prefer to do it myself. Because if I do it myself in my own strength, who gets the praise and the glory? I feel good about it because I did it. But if really it was the Holy Spirit, don't mean, no, he needs to get the praise because he did it. But that's the whole point. It's about surrendering. So that he gets the glory and he gets the honor and we get the joy of being in that sweet spot with him. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we need Christ has to be at the center of it all. So that Christ may dwell. There's a particular uh, uh, Greek word that's used there that means permanent home. Permanent home. It's not a temporary thing. It's a, it's a permanent, rooted, solid anchored reality that Christ is at the center of it all, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And that's back to what we were talking about last week, about that undivided heart, that Christ dwells in half of our hearts or part of our hearts. And there's other aspects of our hearts that we need to hand over. Our joys, our pain, our hope, our identity, our ambition, and everything else needs Jesus as Lord at the centre of it all. And it's, it's not today. The important thing about today is not whether Jesus dwells permanently in all of our hearts, because he doesn't. Because he doesn't. Unless that's the truth. He doesn't. Because if he did, you'd be more like Jesus than you are. And you're not as like Jesus as you could be. And neither am I. If we're just honest about it. The issue is this. Is Jesus making his permanent home in more of my heart today than yesterday? More of my heart tomorrow than the day that's gone. Next month, next year. What's the, what's the journey? Where, where am I headed? What direction am I in? That's the question. And that requires that willingness again to go, I'm not enough. I, I can't, I can't make all this happen uh, by myself. Are you letting Jesus into all areas of your life? And what we looked at last week, and if you missed last week, it was a, a, what we did towards the end last week, I think is really important. And we'll circle back to it several times. It's, it's going to be one of those, you know, like soap became something that we learned and was really important to us. Both of you remember that? I think what we did last week is a, is a tool that's really important to us and we need to learn it and practice it. And it's about where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? identifying a part of my heart that isn't yet given to him and what does it mean to give that part to him? Because that takes us on the journey that we're invited to from glory into glory, which is being transformed into his likeness. And if we can, if we can get hold of that journey, can you, I mean, this is good, isn't it? I mean, we're having a blast this morning, aren't we? Can you imagine if next week we were more like Jesus, how much more fun it would be? And then the month after and so on. So the, the, the future's bright. It's not just orange, it's bright. Got to be around. Yeah, thank you, Jane. You're the only one old enough in the room to get the reference to an old mobile network. Ah. Notice, 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 notice what's just happened, though. Notice what's just happened. We've had three points at the beginning of this summary in Ephesians about what it means to live well. The first point was about the Father. Second point was about the Spirit. The third point was about Jesus. Why is that important? Because that's the relationship into which we are invited. And if we miss that, we miss the whole of the Scriptures. And you don't need me to go through all that stuff about Western and Eastern theology and all that stuff and, and where we went wrong and where we missed the plot. Actually, the, the revelation of God is that he is this relationship in community into which you and I are invited. And it's the most beautiful, safest thing in the whole of the world. You want to feel safe? Go running into that space as fast as your little legs or your long legs will carry you. Fourth posture is this. Identity in who God created us to be. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Your identity, this is really important, and, you, and, and we know it, but we slip all the time. Your identity comes out of relationship. 
As soon as your relationship with God hits the rocks, you lose your God-given identity. And if you don't feel loved by and in love with God, you will always struggle to hold on to your identity. It's impossible because your identity and mine comes out of being known by and knowing God. That, that's at the heart of it, that covenant relationship. And the moment the relationship goes skew if, we lose that God-given uh, identity. We've been, um, uh, we've been working on a tool for, Kerry and I, I've been working on a tool for leaders all around identity slippage. And why when in, with the leaders that we work with, why in, why in leadership it's so easy for your identity to slip? You step out into what you think God's calling you to, and your relationship seems strong, the sun's shining, the sky's blue, and you feel like you're God's child. And then something comes seemingly out of nowhere, and the reason that it takes so long to recover from what comes out of nowhere is that your identity uh, slips. And uh, we haven't got time to go through all of this, but just to give you some examples of some of these biblical characters. So Peter, for example, he's on cloud nine and he's saying to, he's saying to Jesus, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes, you've been really thick, but now you've got it. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then a couple of moments later, Peter goes, oh, I don't, I, I don't like the idea of you going to the cross. I don't want that. And immediately his identity, his relationship with Jesus begins to slip and he gets himself in a pickle. The same way he got himself in a pickle uh, around the campfire uh, just before uh, Jesus' death when he says to that servant girl, I, I, never, I never knew him. And for all kinds of different reasons, we come across things in our lives that cause our identity to slip. David's identity slipped because he was prideful as the king and he was in charge of a great kingdom. So he decided he didn't need to bother going to war anymore. And then he sees a nice young woman and it all goes terribly wrong. Because pride came in and he lost his relationship and he lost his identity. And helping us understand where we are vulnerable to lose our relationship and therefore identity is part of the key of keeping ourselves moving from glory into glory. It's part of the, what we need to go from strength to strength. Am I boring you, Joel? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Anyone else want to join him? Go on. Can't dare you. So what causes your identity to slip? Moses, it was his anger. We all know what I'm talking about. I mean, let's take, let's take Moses as the example, right? He, his identity slipped because he was angry and he killed someone. I guess at least he was honest about his anger. Sometimes passive anger is worse than just anger. At least being angry is just honest. Passive anger is just angry and not being honest. So better to be angry than passive. Anyway, it's Sunday morning. You've come to church. You've had a wonderful worship time. You've chatted wonderfully with God's people at the end of the service. All's well in the world. There's a Sunday roast waiting for you, hopefully, that somehow is magically cooked by someone somewhere. And then something causes you to get angry. What happens to the rest of the day? It goes to pot. And the reason it goes to pot is that we suddenly lose our relational connection with God. Our identity slips. And unless we catch it really quickly, that will affect the rest of the day, if not the rest of the week. You with me? 
And so we need to understand where we're vulnerable to losing our identity. To walk well with God is to know where you are vulnerable. Is it pride? Is it when things get tough? Is it anger or unresolved emotions? What, what is it that causes your identity to slip? If we're going to live this walk with God well, we need partners. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people. We can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. And the, the stories in the Gospels is even, even when Jesus sent them to go and get a donkey, he sent them to go in pairs, didn't he? It's like, like, don't do it alone. Whatever you're doing, don't do it alone. Why? Because what makes sense of who you are is to be in relationship. Because that's the only thing that made sense of God. God has never done anything alone, always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we go, I'm going to do this by myself. We've done two things. We've said we don't need God, and we've said we don't need other people. And that's the absolute antithesis of what it means to walk this life in walking with God. And so what are you doing by yourself where maybe you need to partner with someone else? Where are you going alone when you should be taking someone with you? It's a right hassle to take someone with you because people are annoying. No, they are. Aren't people annoying? Turn to the person next to you and say, if I'm being honest, I find people annoying sometimes. Go on. Get it off your chest. So it's easier, it's easier to do it yourself. And it's easier to do it yourself when you know that the person coming with you can't do it as well as you. Am I right? Because they just get in the way, don't they? They slow you down, they get in the way, they ask stupid questions. And so you decide to go it alone. Every time you decide to go it alone, you go against the grain of the way God's kingdom works. Ouch. Jesus never went alone except early in the morning to pray. Now there's a thought. If you want to go on your alone, sign up to the prayer room. If you don't want to sign up to the prayer room, then you need to go with someone else. Because that's it. It was always with somebody else. The first thing Jesus did was to grab some people to take with him. The people from the Magic Roundabout. Zebedee and all that. Remember Zebedee and the Magic Roundabout? Fantastic. Don't make programs like that anymore, do they? Where are you right now? Right now, as you listen to God, where have you gone alone and God's saying, for goodness sake, take someone with you? What's God saying to you right now? Where are you alone when you should have someone with you? And the hilarious thing is, we go alone and then we get all stroppy because we're lonely and isolated. I'm all on my own here, doing it all by myself. No one's helping me. It's because we went alone. Where are you going alone right now? And you go, well, no one. There's no one that will come with me. Hello? How many of us in the room? No idea. You'll go with them, won't you? Hmm, you're not sure, are you? You'll go with them, won't you? 
You don't know who it is or where it is, but you're going to go, aren't you? Fantastic to go together, don't you think? Makes a world of difference to go together. Sixthly, all of heaven's resources are ours. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. And that takes us into what I was just saying. We go alone sometimes, and then we, we feel like we're orphans because we're doing it ourselves. And we forget that the whole of heaven is with us and on our side. Do you ever live as if you're an orphan in a spiritual sense? Or let me ask another question. In your spirit, do you ever say, I'm on my own? In your spirit, do you ever say, it's all down to me? In your spirit, do you ever say, if only someone else would pull their finger out? Do you ever say, do you know what, I just don't have what I need? I live out of lack. Every time we move into that space, our identity is slipped and we're no longer living as sons and daughters and we lose the joy, we lose the hope, we lose the peace, we get grumpy, angry and irritable. We just become like your archetypal Christian that's lost the plot because we live as orphans. Are you living as if you are an orphan in some part of your life. So is there somewhere right now where you're saying, hey, I'm on my own. I haven't got what I need. need. I'm frustrated with this because it's all down to me. If only someone else would pull their finger out. If only someone else would recognize how much I'm doing. That's all an orphan spirit. Anyone recognize that? I do. I do. I do. And that's the journey that we're on. And lastly, and uh, seventhly, because seven's a heavenly number, isn't it? That's why preachers do three for the Trinity and seven for heaven. If you hear a sermon that's only got six points, that's of the devil. (laughs) See, See what I did there? That's funny. That's humor right there. And (laughs) He is the God of the immeasurably... More, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I asked you to remind me to say something about the community hub. This would be a great time. Thanks. I've got to say about the community hub. The thing I love about the journey that we're on with the community hub is that when we began to think about how much it might in the end cost, and we got up to four million, I was buzzed. I was really pumped because I was worried. I was worried that it might be small enough, the price, for us to have the audacity that we could fix it by ourselves. I thought if the money was small enough, then like the um, the servant who didn't realize he was forgiven and he went around ringing everybody for the five quid debts, I'm thinking if I could go around Ipswich ringing money out of everybody I could find... I might be able to fix it. And then God kind of says, no, you're not even going to be able to do that. That's the immeasurably more, isn't it? So I'm way more excited about it now because it's totally impossible. Do you get it? Do you get where I'm at? It's just absolutely mad. 
It's just way beyond what's humanly possible. But somehow I think God's in it. And we can do two things. We can go, and we might do this in our hearts. Simon's totally lost it. This is way off the agenda. Or you can go, do you know what? Maybe God's up to something here. Maybe, maybe God's doing something here. So I'm pumped about the journey right now, actually. Because I've no idea how it's going to turn out. No idea where it's going to work. But somehow, in the midst of it all, God, that's my iPad, but I'm pointing to it as if it's the Bible. God, God says, I want to do stuff that's so amazing you couldn't fix it yourself. I want to part Red Seas. So everybody has to go, actually, it was God that rescued the people out of Egypt because they couldn't have done that themselves. I want to be part of a story where the David kills Goliath because it's impossible. I want to be part of the story where Daniel's, I'm not sure I like this one, is sitting in the lion's, you know, the lion's den thing. I'm not sure I fancy that. But you get the idea that on every page, God is inviting us to walk with him. And he's saying, what I want to do is something so amazing that all you can do is go, God must have done that because it's a joke. And wouldn't it be amazing for people in Ipswich and Surround to go, actually, those jokers at Burlington could never have done that, so something must be going on there. You with me? Can you just humor me, even if you think I'm mad? Because I just wonder whether God's up to something that he really wants to stretch us in and take us to a place where we go, do you know what? That's been remarkable, because only God could have done that. And that's the invitation here. Paul writes to the churches in Ephesus, and, and it was a letter that went round to lots of churches. They felt under pressure. There was a great empire that was oppressing them. They, it felt like the possibilities were limited. And God wrote to them, and then Paul wrote to them and said, never forget that the possibilities are limitless. There are no limits. Because the God of the immeasurably more, who's able to do far more than we ask or even imagine. According to his power that is already at work. Where's his power already at work? Within us. See that again? It's not that we need to go looking for the power. And one day, if only we would find it, then we'll be okay. The power is already within us. It's already here. We have everything we need for everything God's asking of us. And so do you. And you might take what I'm just saying in terms of the the church's vision, but honestly, you've got dreams and desires in your heart. And maybe you had dreams and desires in your heart that you gave up on quite a while ago. I want to invite you just to dust those off and say, do you know what? Maybe I decided in my humanness that something wasn't possible. And heaven's about to give you a nod and a wink and go, do you know what? Just maybe, because I love doing things that you think are no longer possible. If you were to dust off an old dream or an old vision or something you've given up on because you thought it was never going to happen, what would that be? And maybe in this moment you think, gosh, I've not thought about that for a long time. Maybe God's getting your attention. The God of the immeasurably boy can do far more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that's already at work within you.